Welcome back to New Rockstars, I'm Eric Voss, and Avengers Endgame directors, the Russo Brothers, revealed a new reason that we gotta re-watch this over three hour long film. And no, it's not so that we can all get creeped out by their nephew for looking directly into the camera. Ugh. In a recent Reddit AMA, the Russos were asked, are there any important Easter eggs in Endgame that haven't been found yet? And they responded, of course, yes, period. And if you zoom and enhance on that period, you'll see that it actually says, not really, we just want to drive Eric Voss insane. <laughs> well, too late. Now look, it is highly unlikely that the Russos have seen every one of these obsessive breakdowns of rewatches on every channel, in every Reddit post. These men are professionals. They're busy making new amazing movies about Black Panther saving bridges. Yeah, I assume that's what 21 Bridges is about, yeah? So it's super easy for the Russos to just say, eh, we did put a ton of crap in there, and who knows if everyone spotted everything. So if it gets those nerds buying billions of Blu-rays so that we can dance more on Avatar's grave, <laughs> And sure, happy hunting. But even if this is bait, I bit that hook years ago. I have already rewatched this movie enough times to form a whole new list of more Easter eggs that we missed the first times, like who I think is the true identity of New Master 69, Ant-Man's secret crush, Loki sightings? I mean, I don't know, one of these might be the important one that the Russos hinted at, so let's comb back through Avengers Endgame, scene by scene, for the really easy to miss details. And I am gonna focus on the new stuff, like I already covered this thing pretty comprehensively in a two-part breakdown back in April, and a more recent rewatch of the final battle now that we have it in digital. A ton of other episodes on this channel. So yeah, I've already found Howard the Duck. I know Hulk's eating that special ice cream. I know there's all this kind of stark death foreshadowing. That music with Captain Peggy at the end's important. Yeah, I know. But for the new stuff, here we go. Okay, early in the film, when Stark and Nebula are stranded on the Benatar, in the vastness of space behind the ship, a number of moving objects are visible among the stars. Could they be debris from Thanos spiking that moon? Empty ghost ships after their crews were snapped away. Asteroids being sucked into Galactus's mouth. Oh, but they are moving. But then, back on Earth, screens show the snap victims, which also, it turns out, includes Sharon Carter. You might have spotted that one already, but the writers did say that Sharon was actually in earlier drafts of this script, living with Steve. Rogers going through relationship problems, which I presume probably are related to the fact that Steve's keeping a compass of her great aunt. But Sharon Carter will play a role in the upcoming Falcon and Winter Soldier series on Disney+. Then there's this interesting exchange between Stark and Rocket. Honestly, until this exact second, I thought you were a Build-A-Bear. Maybe I am. Now, Rocket probably doesn't know what a Build-A-Bear is, but this is a nod to his mysterious origin. He is not a raccoon, he was built in a lab. And James Gunn has hinted that Guardians Volume 3 will explore his origin. Carol Danvers also drops an interesting detail when discussing alien healing technology. I'll give him a Zorian elixir when I come back. So the Zorians are from the Marvel comics. They were the rumored ancestors of all the humanoid races in the universe, including humans, Kree, Skrulls. It's really just a convenient reason that all of these races of aliens happen to just all walk on two legs, with the one difference being like some are green and purple. But Zorians coming up here could hint at an upcoming exploration of these human origins and things like the Eternals, maybe Guardians Volume 3 or Captain Marvel 2. A little later on, there's this close-up of Cap's eye as he blasts into space for the first time in his life. Now the framing matches the shot of Tony Stark in his first time outside of Earth's atmosphere in the first Avengers. The parallelism reflects how Cap and Stark swap trajectories in Endgame. Stark finally makes the sacrifice play, Cap finally arrives at enlightened self-interest. 
then five years later in the group therapy scene, on the wall is written for God and country in memorial to chaplain Matthew Haggerty. Matthew Haggerty was the name of the second assistant director for Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. Now, as far as we know, he hasn't passed away or anything, but the second AD is typically one of the more thankless positions on a movie set. Now he is thanked. Of course, there are far more crew shout outs among the names of the Golden Gate Park Memorial that Scott Lang visits. I scrolled through a lot of them in my first breakdown. A new one that I spotted, Dan DeLeo, the movie's visual effects supervisor. Now, back in Avengers HQ, Black Widow holds that conference call. I want to revisit what Okoye mentioned. That it is an earthquake under the ocean. We handle it by not handling it. Some have suggested that this underwater earthquake could be a nod to Namor coming into the second Black Panther film. It also could be a nod to Thor's Midgard Serpent, whom I brought up in recent episodes. In many incarnations, this giant serpent lives under the ocean, and it was actually in the original script for Infinity War. Also, Rocket here is wearing a red scarf now. This is the same scarf that Peter Quill once wore in past Guardians movies. It's Rocket's way of paying tribute to his old friend. When Scott Lang shows up, he has an interesting exchange with Natasha. Either of you guys ever study quantum physics? only to make conversation. And his throwaway joke might also be a nod to Natasha's past friendship with physicist Bruce Banner, with whom she likely spent many hours keeping him calm with brainy small talk and weird palm strokes. Jumping ahead a bit to Tony after Morgan's I love you 3000 line, comes downstairs and tells Pepper, not that it's a competition, but she loves me 3000. Oh, does she now? You were somewhere in the low six to nine hundred range. Yeah, so Tony's kind of making a 69 joke here, but isn't there another mystery character with this kind of sense of humor in this movie? For example, a certain notorious Fortnite username? Yeah, is Tony Stark Noobmaster69? It's totally plausible that Stark would be spending his idle hours trolling Thor, Korg, and Meek on Fortnite. He is up late hours into the night, which would line up with New Asgard's time zone. Look, yeah, maybe I'm just reading into that joke, but notice what Thor later says when he's screaming at new master 69 go cry to your father you little weasel and what does tony do in this movie um the guy has a super emotional reunion with his old man so yeah i guess i'm leaning more toward new master 69 being deadpool but we got a decent case here for tony stark when the other avengers experiment with time travel fun little detail here banner hulk has to use a pencil to operate the switches on the device because his fingers are too big hulk needs to lay off those sausages his fingers are turning into him in new asgard he might have spotted a big dude lumbering around in the background now some people have said this could be beta ray bill it's not it's not a corbinite from what i can tell could be though some other Sakaar gladiator might have ended up with their group. Also, you'll notice among the beer kegs in Thor's supply is one brew labeled Asgardian Ale. Now, there are some more interesting Easter eggs hidden in Thor's home, but first, thanks to our sponsor Skillshare for helping us make this episode. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of classes covering dozens of creative and entrepreneurial skills. Explore classes and everything from photography and creative writing to marketing, productivity, and more. Its premium membership gives you unlimited access to high-quality classes from experts working in their fields to help you gain new skills skills and live your best life. As a screenwriter and filmmaker myself, I've been getting a lot out of iPhone videography. Shoot and edit video using your iPhone with Cielo de la Paz. I'm learning cinematography basics that I can apply right now. No extra equipment needed. Skillshare is also incredibly affordable, especially when compared to pricey in-person classes and workshops. An annual subscription is less than $10 a month. And because Skillshare is sponsoring this episode, you will receive a two-month free trial by clicking the link in the description. Just go to 
skl.sh slash newrockstars13 or click on the link in the description. Okay, back to Thor's home. There are candy Pez dispensers for Hulk and Iron Man. And on the bookshelf are titles like Small Group Decision Making, much like Thor has learned to do with the Avengers, along with Do It by Jerry Rubin, which was kind of like a countercultural motivational book. On the back cover, it reads, Do It is a declaration of war between the generations, calling on kids to leave their homes, burn down their schools, and create a new society upon the ashes of the old. So yeah, you could see how Thor would embrace this idea as he wallows in the ashes of Ragnarok, still trying to move on from his parents' deaths on this post-apocalyptic Earth. Later, when Thor briefs the others about the reality stone, he puts in eye drops, but only in one of his eyes, because yeah, his right eye is a prosthetic eye given to him by Rocket in Infinity War after Hela popped it out in Ragnarok. And staying with these Thor details because I just love them so much. When the time heist begins and they venture to Asgard, a can of the beer that Thor had been drinking has been left as litter. So this means that Thor brought a can of beer with him, shrunken down through the quantum tunnel back in time so that he'd have a roadie. Amazing. Back in 2014, Nebula, Gamora, and Thanos are conquering a planet and in the shot of Thanos' ship, the planet's surface is ablaze and explosions can be seen. Each one blacks out the surrounding grid and it looks as though only half of the surrounding area is getting blacked out each time, maybe reflecting Thanos' quest to call half of each civilization that he meets. Then back in time in New York, after they detain Loki and Loki pretends to be Cap, when he switches back to Loki, Hulk suddenly tenses up, clenches his fists. He's kind of like a worked up dog that you play peekaboo with. And uh, maybe it's just me here, but Scott Lang does seem to be giving off some sexual vibes. And not just by saluting America's ass. Any of us would do that. He says this to Tony, I'm going inside you. And earlier, he poses pretty suggestively, saying, Flick me. Why's he gotta stick his butt out? Look, I'm just saying, written out in a comic word bubble, the phrase, Flick me, would be in all caps, italicized, and look a lot like something else. Yeah, no apologies for dragging your mind into the gutter with me. Now, one possible clue has come up with the date that Tony told Cap as the time both the Tesseract and spare pin particles would be at Camp Lehigh in New Jersey. 04071970. So this would place their second jump to the specific date of April 7th, hey, my birthday, 1970. Not my birth year. Now, I guess you could read this with the international month and date order, which would be like July 4th, 1970. I think this would have to be before Tony's established date of birth, which was May 29th, 1970. Now later, Tony asks his father Howard how far along his mother is, and Tony seems just a bit surprised at Howard's answer. Some have interpreted this to align with a more recent reveal in the Marvel comics that Tony Stark was adopted by Howard and Maria following a previous baby born with major health issues. Now, I don't know about that. I don't think Endgame wants us to conclude from this heartfelt Stark father-son reunion some deeper conspiracy about Tony's childhood, but we are left wondering whether Tony chose April 7, 1970 in particular, like he knew some particular memory about his father Howard involving sauerkraut and flowers and being at the office too much, or if he just chose this date as being within a certain window that both pin particles and the Tesseract would be at this place, based on, I don't know, reading his father's old diaries in Iron Man 2. Now, when Cap sees Peggy Carter in the base, she and her lieutenant are discussing something that apparently can only be understood with subtitles. Yeah, so they're talking about someone named Braddock being held up by lightning. Braddock is probably a nod to Brian Braddock, aka Captain Britain, a British version of Captain America who later is part of the Captain Britain Corps, composed of alternate reality equivalents of other Marvel superheroes. 
Perhaps in the normal timeline, before Cap went back in time to rejoin Peggy and start a new timeline, there was that mysterious soldier that Peggy Carter ended up marrying and having kids with. Well, maybe that was Brian Braddock, Captain Britain, which honestly would seem like a bit of a step up for Peggy Carter. Hmm, my yank Cap turned himself into a popsicle. So let's make me a new beefcake who knows the words to gold save the queen. And as Howard leaves with Jarvis from the base, there is one dude sitting in the background, pale skin, long black hair. Could this be Loki? We do know that he portaled away from 2012 with the stolen space stone, branching off in a new alternate timeline. Now the upcoming Loki series on Disney Plus will explore the god of mischief affecting events throughout the past MCU human history. There was even concept art that showed him on Earth in the 1970s. And look, if we're willing to call a random extra with a Hot Topic skirt Gwen Stacy, I just think it's worth considering that Camp Lehigh might have had another costume time traveler hanging around. After the time heist, Hawkeye returns, heartbroken over Natasha's self-sacrifice, and on his wrist, he's now wearing her Widow's Bite bracelet weapon. The filmmakers have also pointed out the visual clue of Evil Nebula's hand. It was still intact as she fiddles with a quantum tunnel device to bring Thanos to the present. But remember, the true present-day Nebula's hand burned up when she pulled the Power Stone orb from the temple on Morag. Then, after Hulk snaps everyone back, when Thanos' ship blasts the Avengers compound, Scott Lang very subtly shrinks the moment of impact, showing how he was able to survive this. Now, this leads to the third act final battle, which I already rewatched in our most recent breakdown. And be sure to check that out for some cool details about what Spider-Man was swinging from, a bunch of various MCU callbacks, and whether that is Gwen Stacy or not. And please stop tweeting me about Stormbreaker, folks. Yes, only Mjolnir requires worthiness because of Odin's charm. So Thanos lifting Stormbreaker in no way makes him worthy. That was already my argument. Got it. Thank you. But a few more interesting details I want to point out. When Cap tightens the strap on his shield, you can actually see how he did that to form a tourniquet over an open gash on his arm. Ugh. Also, when all the fallen heroes return to join the battle through portals, Wasp, Hope Van Dyne, arrives through her own tiny portal, and then sizes back up to normal after flying through. Now, one continuity error I pointed out in the previous breakdown showed giant Scott Lang shoving a Leviathan through a portal, which would be out of sequence because at this moment, he was actually down to normal size with Hope in the van. Some are wondering though, where that Leviathan would have gone and whether it would have been spared by Stark's final snap and left to wreak more havoc wherever it was teleported to. But it is likely that wherever this Leviathan went, it would have gotten dusted as well, since the filmmakers have suggested that the stones operate in a kind of wish-making sense, so that when Hulk snapped, people who were in airplanes at the time of the earlier dusting wouldn't die, Hulk could just wish for everyone to return safely. Just, I guess, not safe enough to avoid a marching man nerd getting sidelined on the basketball court and far from home. So yeah, whatever Stark wished probably took up that Leviathan wherever it went. But in the final dogpile, Thor presses Stormbreaker against Thanos, and then he double summons Mjolnir to weigh down Stormbreaker, keeping it in place since Thanos would be unable to lift Mjolnir. And then another detail revealed recently in a tracking shot at Tony Stark's funeral, among the many cameos of this shot, is also apparently a little cameo from Marvel head Kevin Feige. He isn't really visible, but he was sitting with the producers in a video village on the other side of the windows inside Stark's home. And then one final visual detail uncovered in this rewatch. Right before Cap goes back in time to return the stones, many have spotted a helicopter carrying a large crate in the far background. Presumably, this chopper was carrying 
equipment for this new base camp that Hulk and Cap had been operating from, like bringing scavenged parts from the debris of Avengers HQ so that they could rebuild a new quantum tunnel for Cap. Or, you know, it's a Weapon X chopper carrying Wolverine. Just pick the reality you want to live in. Which of these new details do you think could be the missing Easter egg that the Russos mentioned? Do you think it exists at all? Is the real Endgame, the game Marvel, is playing with us to keep this goddamn movie relevant until the end of time? Comment down below with your thoughts and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at EAVoss and subscribe to New Rockstars for more breakdowns and theories about everything Marvel. Thank you for joining me and if I haven't found the damn Easter egg yet, Rooster Brothers, if you're watching, if you could just say one of the ones that I mentioned was the right one, that would save me a lot of stress, please.